This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Change, Redefining Success, the podcast designed to inspire you and give you actionable information to enhance, up-level, reimagine, and reinvent your life and your livelihood. No matter where you started, where you are now, or where you've been, you too can lead an authentic, first-class life. Each week, new stories of turning points and transformation will help you define what success means to you so you can live your best life on your terms. Now here's your host, first-class life mentor and certified Profiting From Your Passions coach, Kate Bessler. Welcome to Change, Redefining Success, soon to be first-class life redefining success. I'm your host, Kate Fessler, and my guest today is Carolyn Herford. Carolyn is out to burn the bull that blocks so many women from having an outrageously successful business. Through her own crazy experiences from 16 years as an entrepreneur and the wild stories of her guests, her podcasts and programs light the way for female entrepreneurs to fire up their own businesses by torching their blocks, blind spots, and BS. Welcome, Carolyn. Ah, hello, Kate. You've been an entrepreneur for 16 years, but let's go back to the early days. What did you want to be when you grew up? President of the United States. I seriously, in fifth grade, that was my, I had my eyes set on the White House, baby, except I hate politics. So that kind of fell apart very quickly. And I had too many, um, you know, moments that would, would, preclude me from from making it to the White House. Uh Uh-huh. Well, I don't know. It seems like it takes a lot these days. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I kind of wish you had been president or you were still going to be president. Yes, so many of us do. (laughs) Mm. So did you have corporate jobs? What did you do before you decided it was time to be your own boss? I did. You know, right out of college, my first job was with this like really cheesy little entrepreneur company and where I never really got a regular paycheck. And I, I like, I, oh gosh, it killed my dad that I took this job, but there were a lot of circumstances around that. And um, then I went on, got real jobs, quote unquote, uh, selling sales training. And um, my last corporate gig was with Oracle selling, you know, selling software and, and taking fancy president's club trips to Hawaii because I actually knew how to sell. (laughs) Well, that doesn't sound too bad. What made you decide to uh, bite the bullet and say, I'm going to strike out on my own? You know, it was an environment that was probably a little bit of me too going on. And I really felt like women uh, were not given the same opportunities as guys. And at least in the region I worked in, I really, I, you know, I like my boss, I like my coworkers, but there were definitely privileges and, you know, it wasn't the only <laughs> job that, that I had experienced that, but I just, I kind of turned into someone I didn't like anymore. And one of my old colleagues from Oracle, I ran into him at a wedding and I'm like, yeah, you left Oracle. What are you doing? And he goes, oh my gosh, I work from home. I go out for a run every day. I get to make dinner for my son and coach his football team. And he's like totally selling me on this lifestyle. And I'm like, well, what are you doing to make money? And he said, I help people find and start franchises. And I thought, I want that lifestyle. So I um, started talking with him and exploring different franchise opportunities. And I had such a a stereotypical view of what franchises were because I thought they were all like White Castle and Subway. Mm -hmm. And so I really hadn't considered that there were so many business to business type of operations and lifestyle types of businesses and, you know, non brick and mortar type of operations. So I started validating, exploring different franchises. And I ended up in the same franchise he did, helping people find and start franchises. And I loved it. That's so that that's what got me out of corporate. And I became yet 
another iteration of Carolyn, Carolyn 2.0, probably. <laughs> so. so what was that like for you? So it was similar, I guess, sales to what you had been doing, but, but it was, um, it's a different environment, right? When you, ha- when you call your own shots, it's, it's a lot of freedom, oh. but it's also a lot of responsibility. Were you one of those who kind of gets it right out of the gate or like no. a lot of us, did you struggle with kind of finding your voice and who and how you were meant to serve? I totally struggled, Kate. Oh my God. My first year. So I came off of multiple six figure earnings and, you know, fancy trips with Oracle and a nice expense account. And, (laughs) you know, that's what I was used to. And then I made $20,000 my first year as an entrepreneur. (laughs) I mean, that is a fall from grace, let me tell you. But, um, I, I wouldn't change it. So there were a couple of things that contributed to my 20K year. One is I needed to pick up the phone and call people. I got warm leads, not warm, not warm. Let me, I got leads <laughs> of people who were interested in franchises, not necessarily my, you know, like not, they didn't, weren't expecting a call from me, but it was a lead generation thing. And, um, I hated making those calls. And I kind of thought that when I started my business, I could just go play golf whenever I wanted because isn't that what business is about? And I kind of forgot about the like cutting my teeth and hustling part. And um, I also had, I was thinking about this the other day. I also had kind of this weird, even though I owned a franchise and I shelled up $40,000 for my franchise just for the license. That doesn't even include travel, training, you know, paying for leads, all the other things that go along with starting up a business. So, you know, it probably was a, maybe a 55 or $60,000 investment. And, um, and I, like, even with that, when people said, what, what do you do? I'm like, well, I help people find and start businesses. I wouldn't say franchise. Like I had kind of this weird, like shame. I thought it was going to limit me and the, and the number of people who would be interested in talking to me if I just said, Oh, I work with franchises. I thought people would be like, I don't want to franchise and walk away. And so what I did instead is I help people start businesses. And so I ended up talking to too many people and wasting my time on those who really never wanted a franchise in the first place. So it was so like such a mind F basically Mm -hmm. with myself. And I can think back to all the things I did to, that were so self-sabotaging that first year or two in business. And it just cracks me up. I mean, hey, I'm beyond it. I went on to build a very successful business and wrote a book on how to buy a franchise and you know, did a lot of great things in that business. But starting out, I was not exactly the role model for success. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's not easy. And you're right. Like, you know, you can be super, super good at what you do, which you obviously were when you were with your corporate job. And then when you try to translate that into your own business, um, there are a lot of things that you don't think about that you're going to miss a lot, like those expense accounts (laughs) and somebody sort of delivering work to you and your paycheck and all of that. And it's just stuff you have to be prepared for. But, you know, those early years, they're a learning experience, right? A lot of, a lot of growth opportunities. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I really wouldn't trade it for the world. And I will also say that that experience um, got me used to asking for help and swallowing my pride. And so because I was a franchise owner, I had a lot of fellow franchise owners who had figured it out. And they liked me. They just liked me. You know, we'd meet at conferences and I would ask for help and they would mentor me. And I, to this day, am so grateful to them for the time that they took to teach me like the way they do things. It didn't mean I did it that way, but it helped me find my way. And so it really taught me the value of having coaches and people who have been there, done that. And also it taught me the value of not trying to, to exactly mimic, like 
what I would say, what Bruce Krebs, like a really successful franchise owner in my system, what Bruce would say is totally not what I would say, but I could get the spirit of what he was doing. (laughs) Um, So it really taught me also, like, because I coach people now, but it really taught me, like, help people find their words and their way. And I, you know, I was having people met, they weren't my coaches, they were my mentors. So they're going to tell me how they did it. And I had to make the translation. Mm -hmm. And I think a good coach will help you, a good coach will help you find your translation rather than just say, this is how it's done. So um, lots of learning from that experience. I'm very grateful for those years. So when did you... Because you don't, you don't still do this, right? No, <laughs> when did no. you decide that, okay, well, this has been fun. It's time, time to move on. So I had turned 40 and I, you know, it's interesting because like I'm finally realizing that zeros, even though I don't consciously recognize it, looking back, I can now recognize that every time I have a birthday with a zero, I make a huge change in my life. So anyway, I had just turned 40. I had written a book on how to buy a franchise. My franchisor wouldn't even acknowledge it because I wrote a book before him. And God forbid you do something before he does. And so it was like this weird weird feeling of not being acknowledged for a really great piece of work just because of someone's ego. I mean, I can also argue that it was my ego needing to his validation, but you know, whatever. Well, almost so, like having a boss that's yeah, like, uh, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. So, not, not appreciating but, all the work that you're doing. Yeah. So, but that, and I had also co-founded the largest franchise expo in the Midwest. I was living in Minnesota at the time. I live in New York now. And I was like, really did a lot of amazing things in the franchise world and for the franchise world and for potent, you know, people who are looking to buy franchises. Like I did a lot of cool stuff. And then I just kind of hit this point and I, it it coincided. So, uh, you know, all kind of happened around my 40th birthday. All of a sudden I was like, I wrote the book. I've done three of these expos. I have helped over a hundred people launch franchises. I'm bored. Mm-hmm. Like I kind of felt like I had hit my ceiling and every, it's like, what am I going to do? Write another book on how to buy a franchise. What am I going to do? Like do 10 more franchise expos, you know, how many more yogurt franchises do we need? And I kind of hit this wall of feeling like it was groundhog's day. Mm. Once I hit those like kind of pinnacle moments in that business. And so I'm like, I'm bored. I want to birth something new. I want to create something new. And I didn't know what that was. And so I just spent a lot of time looking around. So, you know, it got me on a plane to come to New York before I moved here um, to go to a Michael Gerber dreaming room and spend a couple days with Michael and um, to like explore different options and opportunities and possibilities. And, um, you know, the dreaming room led to me meeting this guy out of Boston. And then that led to me meeting his coach. And that led to me going to a conference in Las Vegas. And that led to me, you know, joining a very expensive mastermind. And that led to me going, okay, well, I don't want to be in this business anymore. I'm just going to do something else. And so, you know, all those circumstances, it's like, if you were to look at a map of your life and the decisions you make, holy crap. <laughs> it was one of those yes, a very long journey begins with a single step <laughs> yeah that's very true so and also I um you know I really focused on business model when I was in the franchise world because that's what I was doing I was helping people find the choose the right business model for their goals and needs and expectations and so I was very good at that but then I watched pe- my clients struggle with selling And so it kind of became one of those situations where it's like, oh, well, I can teach them how to sell. 
And that just became like, as, as the being bored with the franchise world after seven years, and then um, looking at my clients who I adored, um, watching some of them struggle with selling, I'm like, oh, I can help them with that. And so it just kind of became what my next thing was. So as you've gone through all of this, you have learned a lot and you are known for burning the bull. Sorry, I can't say the rest of it. The E-Women Network frowns on profanity. Ah, Um, Burning the bull that blocks so many women from having an outrageously successful business. What Mm. do you mean by that? So, you know, it's funny and I'll use myself as an example Um, and I'll actually use Um, something that I kind of leaned on as an excuse for a long time. So what I mean by it is the bull is the stuff that gets in our way of having what we want, what we say we want. So I can sit down and write down all the things that I want in life. And then I can go across the page on each line and go, here's why I don't have it. The stuff on the right-hand side of the page is all the bull. It's all the stuff that we believe is stopping us from having, getting, you know, doing what we want. And so it's our excuses. It's our stories. It's our beliefs. It's our um, blocks. It's our blind spots. That's what the bull is. And so when I think about one of my own stories is, you know, I hired a lot of coaches. I spent a lot of money on coaches during that transition from franchise to independent business owner and being a sales and business design coach. And um, I didn't get a fraction of the return that I anticipated or was promised when I joined said programs. And so I got really bitter and I got really victim-y. Like, oh, how could they do that? How could they still be in business? How could they do that to me? I spent a lot of time in victim mode instead of just picking myself up, brushing myself off and going, okay, well, it's only money. Now what are you going to do about it, Carolyn? <laughs> and so that was my bull. That was my bull. I still, you know, I can, I can look at some of those situations and go, you know what? Look at what I learned from that. No, I didn't get a fraction of what I expected but look at all this other richness in my life. And if I want to have been, you know, feeling so sorry for myself for so long, I probably would have um, made it to my first class life even more quickly, back to my first class life even mm-hmm. more quickly. Yeah. So, you know, it's just like, that's the bull. That's the kind of bull I'm talking about. And, you know, it's victim, it's being overwhelmed, like I can't make a decision or I have too much to do, or it can be about, you know, uh, one of my colleagues was telling me that she wanted to lose weight and, and, but, but she wasn't working out and she wasn't doing her meal prep or anything like that. I'm like, why? And she said, well, you know, I got to get my son to school and then this happened. And she was telling me all this stuff and I go, okay, that's all circumstantial. So what's really underneath this. And what we realized is she hates inconveniencing people. And so to ask her husband to take her kid to school so that she could get up, go to the gym, you know, do these things, like it was about, that was, she had a story around inconveniencing things. And as soon as you can bring that stuff to light, it's like, oh my God, that is ridiculous. Now she's at the gym every morning. I just talked to her right before we hopped on for this this interview. And she goes, oh, I'm meal prepping this afternoon. Like she's found a way to make it happen. And in, once that inconveniencing like topic came up for her, so that's that's what the bull is, and that's the stuff that I get really excited to help people see. I love talking with fellow entrepreneurs about when they had their own ahas about their own bull. I love doing live coaching around it. So, um, so that's that's what I'm out to do because I think when you hear other people's stories, you can identify and go, oh my God, I'm doing the same freaking thing. That's got to stop. Absolutely. And it's interesting that it's never what you think it is. <laughs> no. Like inconveniencing people has absolutely nothing to do with losing weight, right? No, no. Isn't that, and that's just it. It's like, 
why am I, not, you know, oh, I don't have time. Oh, I've got to get my kid to school. Oh, my husband can't do it. Oh, this, like it, it and it's to, so to get, to go through that path, just like the path of one step, you know, leads to what all these other things in life, it's that same thing. And I love breaking that down with people. And I also think that a lot of people feel shame. So I work with women entrepreneurs and, and women in particular seem to carry a lot of shame about not having everything figured out mm-hmm. or, you know, not like they're looking on social media and everybody else looks so wildly successful, which is also bull and, um, feeling really ashamed. And I think it just goes with the territory. It's just, you know, and so I also, one of the reasons I am out to burn the bowl is because I want people to know you can look at me and go, Oh my God, she is so successful. But I can't tell you how many days I'm like, Oh no, I'm not feeling so successful today because this is going on. And then I'll be like, okay, what is in the way? Like, what is my bowl around this? And, um, I'm not the only one. And, and the, and nobody is the only one. And so I think being able to shine the light on, and helping people understand they're not the only one going through X bull mm-hmm. um, is going to be very liberating for women. I agree. And that's one of the reasons why I do this podcast, because I want people to hear the stories like yours, like other people's who, you know, it's never a straight line to success. And sometimes we get stuck in one of those zigs or zags because we think we're the only ones, or we think that it's this, big, huge obstacle that we can't get around. And really, it's just like you said, it's some bull getting in the way. And as soon as we identify that, we can move on. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's fun. It's good work too, Kate. So tell me about bro marketing, which I believe is a <laughs> coined term. Speaking of bull. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, it's really interesting that we, um, you know, we live in interesting times and, 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 and we live in a man's world. And again, none of this is victimy. This is just saying, you know what? A lot of stuff out there in business was created by men for men. You know, when you think about when internet marketing really started gaining traction 10 or so years ago, who was at the head of it. It was men mostly. Mm-hmm. And a few women who put lipstick on men's work. And, you know, so, so t- bro marketing is, is I, I'm trying to choose my words somewhat carefully. Um, it's, it's really all the tactics that get people to do stuff by using a lot of hidden psychology and persuasion. And if you do this, then this will happen. And we've just kind of accepted it as marketing. And so there are lots of books out there uh, around this, like Cialdini. He's like the godfather of, um, of the psychology of selling and the different things that you can do to, to get people to do stuff um, that may or may not benefit them, but will definitely benefit you as the marketer. Mm-hmm. And so bro marketing is, it's kind of a culture of, of, um, n- lack of transparency and, and having people go through hoops and making really big promises that so rarely are actually delivered upon. I love talking to, to people and saying, so tell me about this program you went through. How was it? And they'll be like, eh. Like, I'm telling you, I bet 80 to 90% of the content that's out there, people will say, eh, it's okay. It's all right. Like if they're really, um, and so to me, I think bro marketing is like standing in a circle and handing a hundred dollar bill around the circle. And, (laughs) um, Yeah. I just, I have a lot I want to say. So I'm trying to like figure out <laughs> what the shortest cut is for a soundbite anyway. Yeah. But I'll let you ask more questions around it. 
Yeah. So it sounds like it's manipulative, right? It's manipulative selling. It's, it's using, it's kind of like the image that comes to mind is the Swedish bikini team for beer. Like what's that got to do with anything, but in the mind of the, of the guy (laughs) who's viewing this, because I don't care about the Swedish bikini team, but that's beside the point. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I can be the guy who hangs out with the Swedish bikini team. If I drink this beer, right? Yeah. And that's kind of like, that's never going to happen, but that's Mm -hmm. how you get people to engage with your product by putting up these kind of fantasy scenarios, um, which psychologically sort of like manipulate them into, into buying your product. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you hear about, oh, the seven figure launch, but when you really break it down, did that seven figure launch, would that really generate net to the person who did all the work and spent months and months and months and months and months, you know, putting this together. I mean, I've heard things like $35,000. Oh well, my God. Not only that, but you know, and, and you and I actually met in one of these uh, very yeah. expensive mastermind groups and you feel like you're the, like, it's just you that doesn't get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's part of uh, the process I think is that you, you, you always need something more and you have to continually sort of, well, if you do, if it's not working for you, it's because you're not doing it the right way, which of course is their way. And yeah. as you said before, you know, it's very important for us, especially as women entrepreneurs to find the best way for us, like, like our way and our words and our voice and, and the way we want our business to look instead of just trying to fit ourselves into the mold that someone else says, this is how you're going to get there. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting. So, um, you know, the, the context of the bro marketing stuff that I write about, it, it all started because I started looking around. I'm like, we really live in an XY economy. You know, it's, 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 it's very male based and women are doing their best to try to adapt and I think we're making progress and it, on many fronts, right? We're, are we there yet? No. I mean, look at these judicial hearings. So, I mean, right. And that has nothing to do with marketing and everything to do with marketing, right? So, mm-hmm. um, so there's, there, it's just, and I do not criticize it. I'm just, I'm just calling it the way I see it. And the reason I don't criticize it is because that's our dads. That's our brothers. Like, you know, they're, they're all doing the best they can. And I think we can do better. I think women can create an XO economy is what I call it, where we can create stuff with love and without having to use tactics that we know deep down inside do not fit us. And I'm telling you, like I've used every bro marketing tactic out there. And I can also tell you it never freaking works for me. (laughs) It just doesn't. And I have learned many of those bro marketing tactics from women. So a bro is not necessarily a man. A bro can be a woman who uses bro tactics that were created by men for men. They just have, they're wired in a way that it works for them, but that, that it doesn't work for the majority. It just doesn't work for them. I've been at this so long, Kate, it just doesn't. (laughs) And it is what it is. And so I am really committed to helping women find their way. And if a bro marketing tactic feels true to them and it works for them, fine, go ahead. I'm not going to judge you, but if it doesn't, let's, there are other options. Let's find what those options are. So that's, that's my whole mission. Well, I agree with you a hundred percent. And I think uh, one of the, one of the things that we're coming out of right now, you know, when women, and I, I've said this a few times over the past several weeks, it's like women who are younger don't remember that 30 years ago, (laughs) you know, women in the workplace was a big deal. Yeah. And women were doing their best to look like men, to dress like men, to act like men, to fit in. And so we're now in a, in a time when I think we're sort of embracing the woman's way. In fact, my guest last week wrote a book called 
woman on top, how to win in a women in a woman's way. I love it. <laughs> and it's, it's very different, right? And so if you try again, to kind of like squeeze yourself into this mold, it's never going to feel right. And if it doesn't feel right, it's not going to work. Yeah. That, and, and that really tapping in is something I've learned. Like this has nothing to do with marketing, but when someone it comes to me and says, you know, I want to do this with my business or, you know, here's what's going on. And we're talking about how I might be able to work with them. If I get the chills while they're telling their story, I'll be like, oh, I know I can help you. If I don't get the chills, that means my body, like my whole energetic presence is like, yeah, okay. I don't think they're right for me. And so I think that same thing goes when you're doing your marketing. It's like, if it doesn't feel right, then it probably isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think back to, I mean, probably six or seven years ago, I used a bro marketing program to try to launch one of my programs. And it was this step-by-step advice and it was created by, by a woman, um, but all like bro all the way. And I remember like I needed to write another marketing email and send out another email to my list. It was like, I swear, Kate, it was like the 18th email <laughs> in five days or something. And I was cringing, but I had promised myself I was going to follow it to the letter because I usually didn't. Mm-hmm. And I, that was the best and worst experience ever. So the best part of it is that I learned never to do that again and to always listen to myself. The worst part is people stopped opening my emails and I used to have a super high open rate, high engagement. People really liked my stuff. And that one launch basically took my legs out from under me and it didn't make me any more money with like a hundred times the effort than I had for any other launch for the same program. So um, it was just a really good learning experience. And my, I knew, like I knew to not do it. My, my, my energy knew, but you know, my stubbornness was like, I'm doing it all the way. <laughs> We're taking this home. Oh my God. It just cracks me up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, but that but I I actually think that was probably a good thing and because then you because sometimes when we don't want to do it it's it's we're not sure like is it because it's just resistance is it you know what is it right it could be because we don't want to inconvenience people like you're a woman who wanted to lose weight. Like there could be a lot of reasons. But because you played it out all the way through and saw the results and the results weren't what you had either been told or had expected, um, at least then you knew, right? right? It was like, okay, I didn't stop myself. I went through with it and here's what happened. Mm-hmm. So now I have no doubt, like what if, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, and you and I both know those people. We all know the people who are like, this has to work or else. And that's where I think um, the, the, the bro marketing and the, the marketing programs out there can be like the prop, the over promises can be so dangerous mm-hmm. because first of all, you never want to be in that situation where this has to work or else. Like if you're saying that, then you probably need to get a job or just accept that you're going to have more credit card debt than you probably want because you know right. you can't work. You can't operate from a place of desperation and expect, expect to a- attract money and clients. And so but what's tough is so many people are making decisions from a place of desperation. And, and I, I can only say that because I've done it myself and I've also observed it and heard a million stories about it. And so that's just a really, um, it's just a really tough place to operate from and getting your head screwed on state and burning the bowl basically to figure out what's at the core of it and reframing, um, your situation, I think is super, super important, yet nobody stops to do it because the timer, the countdown timer is going, I have to make a decision. I've got to join this right now, or I'm not going to get the bonus, or I'm not going to get the payment plan, or, you know, there are only so many spots, like all those scarcity 
things um, just push every button and they, they take advantage of someone's, oftentimes someone's already desperate um, mindset. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that's really what makes me sad. Um, and it's why I talk about bro marketing is because it, like it's damaging lives, you know, and, and really having a long-term, now we all have lessons to learn. So if that's a lesson someone needs to learn, just like the lessons I've learned along the way, okay, that's fine. But if we can avoid some of those lessons, sidestep some of those lessons and learn some other, you know, better, healthier lessons, that'd be awesome. So it's yeah. just interesting. Yeah. No, I always say that. I'm like, please learn from my mistakes. <laughs> I'm here to help you navigate around the potholes instead of falling into them. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of potholes, hopefully not, you now live in Manhattan. I do. Yeah. In a, in a brownstone that I you do. say came into your life, and I quote, with the serendipity of a soulmate. <laughs> Tell me that story. So, you know, Around the time that you and I probably had met each other, I was traveling all over the United States. I was living in Minnesota, owned a house. Um, I don't know if I had a boyfriend at the time. I can't remember. I may have broken up with him. But um, I was traveling every month going somewhere for you know three to five days at a time to all these conferences. And I remember sitting in one of my mastermind meetings and saying, I felt really isolated in Minneapolis because I just felt like nobody really got what I was doing or like why I was traveling so much or all this personal development work I was doing and they just didn't get it. And then I'd go to an event in Minneapolis and it was a free event and everybody wanted stuff for free. And I'm like, you are not my people. Like, where's the quality events here? And so I said something to my coach at the time, I'm like, I just feel really isolated in Minneapolis. And she goes, move. And I was like, what? I've <laughs> lived there all my life. Like I hadn't even considered. And that's not true because I had considered moving, but she goes, move. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. And I go, but I own a house. And she goes, sell it or rent it. Like big deal, Carolyn. And so um, I did. So literally that conversation was in February I think two weeks later, I was hosting my first event in Austin, Texas. And um, so as soon as I got, like I finished up my event, which was a great event. And then I came back to Minnesota and I started clearing up my house. And I I, I actually spoke at eWomen Network um, probably in March or April. I don't know. And um, you know how eWomen says, what's one business request and what's one personal request? Mm-hmm. And my personal request, because I was speaking that day, everybody in the room heard it. And my personal request is I'm looking for a renter. And three people came up to me and said, I know someone who's looking for a place to live. And I found a renter. I was gone and th- I, 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 like from the time I had the conversation with my coach to the time I moved here, it was three months. So it, was, it happened really fast. Found an amazing apartment. And, um, you know, I have a sister who lives here, so I'm grateful for that and her husband and he's a lifelong New Yorker. And I'm like, yeah, I want a place with outdoor space. And he's like, yeah, good luck with that. You know, the New Yorker is like, yeah, yeah, whatever girl. And, um, I got it. Like I got the most amazing outdoor space. I have an, like just a ridiculous, it's just amazing. And so I've been here almost eight years and it feels like yesterday some days, but, um, it, and one of the things I really like about living in New York is everyone passes through New York at some point, you know, that is true. so it's great because I get to see like just this week, I had two girlfriends in town, business girlfriends. I'd never met them in person. I got to spend two hours with one and like, over get over served with the other one for probably six hours um, that night. So it was awesome because you really get time to spend time with people and, and bond or just meet them for 15 minutes for coffee. And so it's, I, I love it. I love living here. Well, it does sound it was like it was meant to be. Yes. 
Yes. You know, it's funny because a lot of people will say, well, are you going to stay there forever? And I'm like, I didn't know I was going to move here three months before I moved here. So I don't know, like, I'm not the person to ask. Um, you know, <laughs> and when I think about first class life and really what I want, you know, at some point is, and it's not now, but you know, I could see myself living in Europe for six months out of the year and New York, the other six, I always, you know, can see myself having a presence here, but so much of it depends on business and relationship and relationships, you know, so I don't know. We'll see. I, I'm just enjoying the ride. Well, speaking about enjoying the ride, this is in the other direction, not Europe, but I hear you once danced on the stage at the Sydney Opera House. <laughs> Do tell. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, it sounds a little fancier than it was, but here's the story. So I was there for a friend's wedding. He married an Aussie. So I go over and um, I spent a couple weeks in Australia and one night, my friends and I are like, Hey, let's go to a concert at Sydney opera house. And so we got tickets to whatever was available. And it was like this bar band from Scotland, you know, they're up on stage, like drinking beer and smoking cigarettes and playing really cool music. And we'd never heard their music before, of course, but there were people dancing in the aisles. And I think we were in like the third or fourth row right smack dab center. And I'm sure that it wasn't full. Like, I don't remember because we were sitting in front, but there were these people dancing in the aisles. And so this band, like imagine them just being at like your local, you know, dive. Right. And, um, they go, Oh, you know, it's too bad. You have to dance in the aisles. Why don't you come up on stage? And I literally, I looked at my friend, I popped up, I climbed over three or four <laughs> rows of chairs. I climbed up on the stage. I'm like, Oh, hell, if I get a chance to dance on stage at Sydney Opera House, I am not turning down that opportunity. And so we just danced up there for a while. And then it was, you know, that was my, that was my, my probably three minutes of quasi fame. <laughs> no fame, uh, no fame involved, actually. Just a fun story. That's a fun story. So we're at that point in the program where I have to ask you, what is one book or resource besides your own that changed your life that you would recommend to people? You know, there obviously are so many. So this is such a hard question to answer. So what one that always comes to mind, and it's not even like, I'm sure everybody's like, oh, the four agreements or, you know, this or like the really famous books. But the book that really made a difference to me was when I was going through that period of reinvention and trying to figure out, what do I do? If I leave this franchise, what next? And I really felt like I needed to find my life purpose and you know all of this. And it all felt so heavy when it doesn't have to. Like, honestly, people, it does not have to be heavy. But I made it heavy. And um, the book that really, really felt like it lightened me up is a book called Callings, and it's written by Greg Lavoie. And I just love that book. And I can't even, I'm, I'm, I know I still have it, but I haven't reread it forever. Um, and then I remember the friend who referred it to me told me like a couple months after read it, she goes, Carolyn, I'm on this guy's list and he's doing calls with people. And I'm like, what? I can <laughs> talk to the author? And, you know, at the time, even though I had written a book, I just like, did. I just thought it was so cool because the book was so um, impactful for me. So uh, I did a session with him, which was really fun. He's a, you know, career coach. He wasn't exactly you know, what I needed long-term, but it's just what I needed at the time. So that, I really loved that. I love that experience and I love the book and I always recommend it to people when they're really in a place where they just don't know what's next. Mm. Good recommendation. I have not heard of that even. Yeah. So Carolyn, what does success mean to you uh, personally? How do you define your authentic first-class life? It's just being true to me. You know, I used to chase the money and I love money. I mean, there's like, I'm not embarrassed about that. Um, but it's just like, it's really, I think my, 
answer would have been so different a year ago or five years ago or 10 years ago. But right now it's just like naming what I want and going for it. Like it's, and, and not having drama around it, you know, it like, and that trickles down, not just down to business, but to relationships. Like I'm still single and dating. And, you know, I think about this guy who he wanted to do something on a date and I go, "Mm, no, that's like, and not being bitchy. I was just like, no, that's not really what I'm going to be in the mood for by the time Friday rolls around. So, you know, could we maybe do something else? And I love that his response is, I love a woman who knows what she wants and isn't afraid to ask for it. And I'm like, okay, damn, like you, you could actually be a keeper, but it's (laughs) it's that it's like, it's knowing what I want and not being afraid to ask for it or go after it or feel ashamed. Like, what are people going to think? Like none of it. I love that so much. And I also still really love the bumps in the road because I think about like upper limits and, you know, I'm sure you've heard of the big leap and gay Hendricks. And I hit an upper limit problem about two years ago. And I was freaking coaching my clients on upper limit problems. And I was having one of my own and didn't freaking see it for myself. Like, okay, power of a coach people. Mm -hmm. And so I was just like, and then in hindsight, I'm like, oh my gosh, Carolyn, like seriously? And so I actually appreciate that I am sometimes a very slow learner because it, there's just, there's something to, to me. And I know this is not your typical, how do you like define a first class life? (laughs) Because I'm talking about the mistakes and the bumps and the, you know, F ups. But, um, to me, that's what makes life so much fun. And I think it also helps you appreciate all you have. And I've spent a lot of time appreciating what I've had, what I have, but that's been like in more recent years, I think I spent a lot of time not appreciating how much I have and taking a lot for granted and then being reminded through things like having an upper limit problem and not seeing it for myself. Um, so that's, that's my crazy, awkward, uh, windy answer for you, Kate. <laughs> Well, you know, the journey is never ending. So just as long as you can address those things with grace and appreciation, I think, uh, yeah, I think that's a good thing. For sure. You have a podcast launching soon. Tell me about that. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. So um, yeah, it it, it is around the topic of burn the bull bleep. Um, And it's called uh, burn the bull bleep. (laughs) And I'm just putting in the bleep. I hope everybody else can fill in the blank there. And it's about firing up your business and the whole, so the, the, the format or the structure of the show, the season one is going to drop at the end of October, 2018. And, um, the whole premise and, and format is there, there will be episodes where it's just me talking about my own BS And then there will be episodes where I'm talking to colleagues and other people who are willing to share their story and how they got around a very specific block Mm -hmm. or blind spot or belief of their own. And then I also plan to do some live coaching sessions, not live, live, because of course it's a podcast, but where I'm literally, someone can listen into a coaching session where we get to like the inconvenience conversation, like I wish that would have been recorded because it was with a colleague and when we did it in like 20 minutes and all I thought is, oh, I wish we would have recorded that. That would be such a great learning experience for people because I think sometimes it's really great to just like be a fly and listen to the process of take, like you said, losing weight and inconveniencing, they like on the surface have nothing to do with each other. But when you go through and figure out, oh gosh, they have everything to do with each other, um, it really helps you start to see some of your own stuff. So, so I'm it's it's going to be mixed up a little bit, you know, a little little bit of everything, and I'm really excited to 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 share this with the with the world with the girlfriends. 
Mm, that is very exciting. I'll be, ha- I'll be sure to listen in. So if people want to find out more about you, <clears throat> excuse me, and your work, how can they do that? So I have the very original uh, website named after myself. So it's carolynherforth.com. Um, and all my handles, everything is Carolyn Herforth. So um, I'm assuming in the show notes, my name will be spelled so people can see it. Um, Cause it's not just like, you know, jillthompson.com. <laughs> it's Carolyn Herforth. But you know, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, you know, it's all, everything is Carolyn Herforth. My website is carolynherforth.com. And I would say if anybody wants to learn more about bro marketing to definitely go to my blog or even, um, there's, there's some interesting articles in there about the XY economy and that all leap points towards uh, bro marketing too. So. Excellent. Well, Carolyn Herforth, it's been so much fun catching up. Thanks so much for joining me today. Oh my gosh. So fun to connect and reconnect with you, Kate. I love the work that you're doing and you're a very good interviewer. So thank you. Well, thank you. Thanks for joining us. This is the EWN Podcast Network. As you heard, it's never a straight line to success and you don't have to, nor should you, try to follow the exact way someone else has done it. Being true to yourself and finding a way to use your own voice, your own words, and do business your own way is the true path to lasting success. Get out of your own way. Burn the bull, as Carolyn says, and there's no limit to what you can accomplish and how you can design the life of your dreams. If you have something to add to the conversation, please leave a comment on my Facebook page, First Class Live Solutions. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give it a rating on iTunes or wherever you listen. Follow the show to be notified of upcoming episodes, and please tell your friends. What's your story? If you'd like to share it on this podcast to inspire others, please click on the link at the bottom of the show page and fill out the survey. If it seems like a good fit, I'll be in touch. This week's quote is from the brilliant life coach, Martha Beck. Do exactly what your yeah but says you shouldn't. Write that novel, adopt a puppy, resist oppression, keep the yeah, and kick the butt. I hope you'll join me next time for another inspiring episode. Until then, cheers to your authentic first class life. I'm Kate Fessler. Thanks for listening to First Class Life Redefining Success. EWN Podcast Network. I'm Sandra Yancey, CEO and founder of eWomen Network. We invite you to listen to all of our EWN Podcast hosts at EWNPodcastNetwork.com.